and uh, welcome from, uh, well, welcome from me. I'm over on the West Coast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm like the game finished about 40 minutes ago and I'm still buzzing off Marcus Rashford. Um, what a amazingly I mean I know this is the most obvious and cliched thing to say about that game but it's true it felt like Man United back we're back we are not only well I said last week I think we might be good yeah not only we might be good but I think we got some of that old United last minute winning thingy back too it was so deserved that goal oh totally I mean United were obviously completely dominant for the whole game just too slow and too narrow for about an hour Mm -hmm. Uh, and Rashford uh, a little bit McTarian but particularly Rashford coming on just gave the you know the game so much more intensity and and the amount of chances United created I mean just imagine contrast that with last season what would have happened sidewards backwards slow 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 the pattern of the first 60 minutes would have been repeated for the whole game uh, and we'd have probably lost 1-0. Um, and as it was, United knocked on the door again and again and again. They were positive. They threw more and more men forward and, and got everything they deserved out of the game. Yeah, friend of the show uh, at Blabber One at half time um, tweeted at, I can't remember which journalist it was, one journalist said, this all feels a bit like LVG. He was like, United had eight attempts in that half. Um, Van Gaal averaged seven attempts per game away from home. Um, so, you know, as many attempts as a Van Gaal side would have had all game. And that was when it wasn't really going that well. It was, as you say, the last hour. And I, I think actually from the start of the second half, things things had a different texture. Pogba looked a bit more focused. There was some nice link-up play with Ibrahimovic early on. Um, but I, I actually, I think that the Mkhitaryan factor was pretty massive. And there was that um, that run where he broke out of uh, midfield right. and kind of like straight up the centre of the pitch, earned a free kick right on the edge of the area. Right, and no one had done that. I mean, actually, Mata had a good game up to the point he was taken off, I thought. I mean, he's, he's constantly involved in play. But what he doesn't have is that kind of dynamism, does he? Mm-hmm. You know, Mkhitaryan is going to get the ball and run at players. And uh, interesting, I thought that, uh, I mean, you know, I could, like, his shape was not clear after mm-hmm. the two substitutions, right? I mean, basically, Rooney moved out to the left. Rashford was sort of central and McTarian was coming in off the right. But, you know, they it was so fluid. It was, it was reasonably fluid, yeah. Um, and uh, but, but it was kind of interesting that Rooney ended up getting relegated, uh, which was the right thing to do, of course, you know, just from the, the game point of view, to, to have that kind of speed through the middle. Since United were so narrow... Um, for for almost all of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, it, it doesn't even really bear repeating. I, I would have obviously, like, I was kind of screaming for Rooney to come off when when he took off uh, Martial and Mata. But actually, I think I could really argue against either of those coming off on their own on its own merits. But I just thought there was a better candidate, you know. Um, I think. Yeah, Ma- I mean, Martial had a, another very quiet game, I and mean, we talked about this last week. He's starting. His starting position is 15 yards deeper than last season, and it's causing him a real problem because instead of one player to beat, he's got three. Um, so that's it's difficult for him. He's he's struggling to adjust for the moment, and there's other stuff stuff going on in his personal life and the Euros and stuff like that. So you know, no real concerns there. But I, I think it's easy to explain why he's not started the game great. Matter, I don't think it was that bad, but the game needed pace, exactly. right? Yeah. So he was an obvious candidate to take off from from that point of view. Not that he was having a bad game, but you know needed to inject some pace. Then again, of course, there are other candidates who are a bit slow, both of mind and body, who could have gone as well. Although in the end, the made an absolutely telling difference um, to the game, which is the well, Rooney conundrum, isn't it? Because he rarely, even in his worst periods, has he gone that long without some significant end product. That's right, but the the pattern is the pattern is um most of the time he plays badly. Uh, and it's uh it feels like he's been crowbarred into the side. Uh, and then sometimes he, he comes up with those moments. You know, those moments that there weren't too many today, but those moments that remind you that Rooney is Rooney and mm-hmm. He did brilliantly for the goal. I think uh, his opponent was obviously absolutely knackered, Mela. Uh, but, uh, he, you know, superb to get around the player and, and pick out the right man. Great moment. Yeah. Helped win United the game. The, 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 the better argument, though, because, of course, you know, that is an argument. The best, much better argument is United wouldn't have needed that. 
um, if the uh, the shape and the personnel had been right in the first place. You know, and I know, I know, hashtag agenda <laughs> and all of that bollocks. Um, but it's not. It's just he's just the wrong guy in the team, and he's been crowbarred in for the moment. And we, I was over here with a few United fans debating about whether why exactly. You know, is it he's just been given enough rope to fail? Uh, or is it that Jose sees something we don't? Or is it that Jose is just uh, blinded by the stardom, as as was uh, Moyes and Van Hal? Or is he just managing the politics, which is yeah. what I, I think is the real thing? Because, you know, we talk about it in quite uh, strong terms sometimes. And, and you know, this this conversation is really boring, so I don't really want to have it anymore, like particularly... Because it is just, I've got nothing new to say. In fact, never mind. Let's move on to a different player in the team. Uh, you mentioned Martial starting 15 yards deeper than he was last season. But, of course, very often last season he played on the left of a 4-2-3-1. But do you think he was more advanced in that role? Like, he started on the left more than he started through the middle last season. Yeah, just, yeah. Um Yes, I think he was more advanced. I think he was starting as a as an attacking player, and really now he has some defensive responsibility. Not only that, but because the fullbacks have been pushed forward so much this season, much more than they were last season, uh, he also has that responsibility to cover when they do go. Um, and it's very noticeable actually that only one fullback goes at any one time. So the the uh, the the winger um, that's with the fullback has responsibility both to cover if United if if there's a transition in play, um, but it allows the other the winger on the other side to come in. You know, and and it has some benefits because uh, United's defence and midfield and attack are all much more joined up than they were last season. Mm. Um, the narrow, the the downside is that United are very narrow at the moment, and the the width is only really coming from the fullbacks. Although Valencia got into a lot of very good positions a lot of the time, and and in some ways, actually, this game was um, the, the there were a lot of really massive positives to this game. The the, the the biggest one being that we won. That seems so obvious, but I mean, could this have been any more a game that we wouldn't have won under Van Gaal? You know, just like it had that. I mean, I said that about Bournemouth even and Southampton to an extent, but this game even more so. But we did win, and that is absolutely massive. And we won because we never stopped trying and because we kept trying, playing direct. Uh, very high level attacking football you know not like knocking it long but trying to work positions exactly what Fergie always said there's a couple of small downsides about this game I thought Valencia kind of regressed uh, in an attacking sense back to a slightly more recognisable version of himself he was still full of running and still kind of prepared to take on his man at fullback and stuff but his crossing was just off today um, but I actually thought Fellaini was a little bit more of a regression. It was a bit more like, mm, yeah, th- especially in the first half, that was very Fellaini-esque. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I uh, I was almost about to praise Fellaini for his performance today because it, it's, it's composed and, and neat and tidy in midfield. Um, the, the thing is... He, Apart from when he's slide-tackling people yeah, on yeah. his knees. Uh, no, I know. Um, for the most part, he was all right. I, I think he, he was obviously under zero pressure defensively. Mm. Um, Hull, Hull had almost nothing to offer going forward, didn't try to. Uh, very rare occasions they broke out a couple of set pieces and whatever. So um, not under a lot of pressure. Uh, but I actually, you know, I think Fellaini's role, it, it's worse than him just not being a great player. I think the problem there is it, it's adjusting the whole balance of United's sort of midfield part. And and we saw that a lot in the first sort of half particularly, but, you know, maybe the first hour or so. Uh, so the role of Fellaini, Rooney and Pogba, there's all there's a problem with a lot of it. Right? Fellaini is not natural in that position. Uh, that means Pogba is sitting maybe 10 yards deeper than he really needs to. There are a couple of occasions he ran ahead of the ball, but not very often. Uh, so you're just limiting the, what you can extract out of, you know, a great player. Um, and with Rooney, obviously, Rooney and Pogba would like to be in the same zone. They're not at the moment, uh, but when he gets the ball, Rooney, it slows down United's attack or breaks down completely. You know, so you've got that little triangle to solve. Now, that sounds negative. Actually, another way of thinking about that is that, you know, Pogba's significantly strengthened United's midfield and has allowed Fellaini to come into the side and just play a reasonably disciplined role. And, and Jose has managed to get more out of Fellaini than anyone else has at United. Um, but you could, you could solve it, you know, if, if 
Uh, United had a really great defensive midfielder, which we don't in the squad at the moment, um, and a real number 10. Uh, I think we'd see quite a different balance through the middle. Um, but, th- you know, that's just that's tweaking around the edges to, to get the most out of the team. For the most part today, I, you know, I, I agree with your assessment that, especially in the last 30 minutes, this was, this was relentless attacking from United and very, very good. Just a bit slow and a bit narrow leading up to that. That, but um, you know, this is the team bedding in. I guess someone made a fantastic point to me, and I'm really sorry I can't remember who it was. Um, but we, there's been a lot of talk about Rashford because he got left out of the England squad, and um, obviously hasn't had any game time before today. And someone made the point to me that the two games that have happened so far, we haven't needed to change the game. Like United have been playing their game and it's been working in both of those occasions. So like there was no need to bring Rashford on as a kind of impact sub. The only need would have been rotation, give him minutes and all that kind of stuff. But in this game, Mourinho needed to change the game and he did turn to Rashford and not like in the last five minutes or anything. He had a a very substantial run in that game and that made a massive difference. And, you know, so Allardyce dropped Rashford and... In in his in his press conference before he'd announced the England squad or in an interview, I'm not sure which, Allardyce said uh, something along the lines of, um, "It makes it very difficult for me, however exciting it was at the end of last season, that he isn't playing so far this season." Two games. Yeah, I thought it was, and and some of the journalists picked up on this like gospel and were kind of when he was left out said he's paying the price for Mourinho and Ibrahimovic's presence, and you just think. No, he's not. He's paying the price for... I don't... By the way, I don't think it's completely unreasonable for Allardyce to say, I don't want to bring Rashford into... He's not going to play... He's not going to be in the the first 11 and I'm I'm going to look at other options. That's perfectly fine. But what if he'd had a knock for two games? Would Allardyce have gone, oh, and now he's fully fit? Would Allardyce have said, I'm not going to take him? What if he'd been suspended? Um, Well, it's just nonsense. Um, And it's, uh, I'm afraid, the blinkered thinking that Allardyce has. We're going to get on to um, uh, maybe a little chat about the international football, um, I suppose. But I think we'll find that uh, Allardyce will end up picking quite a few players, England players, who are not necessarily uh, first choices um, in their teams. Yeah. And, and you know, the other point of that argument that I found so frustrating is like England have got some good strikers. Harry Kane, I think, is an excellent player. Good questions about his form or whatever. And Jamie Vardy does what Jamie Vardy does and he, he does do it well. And I think Sturridge on form, although he's not looking too good at the moment, obviously has been an excellent striker at his best. But... Not one of those players could touch Zlatan Ibrahimovic with a barge pole in terms of quality. So, like, if Ibrahimovic is keeping you out of the team, that doesn't automatically mean you shouldn't be playing for England. Mm, Joe Hart appears to be in the England squad. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It's, per- it's such... I mean, and, you know, there's a counter-argument to that which says, well, Joe Hart is an established international, so there isn't that kind of risk. But, you know, like, Allardyce said... Um, it would be Rashford um, can kind of work hard in the under 21s and break into the Manchester United team and the England senior team. I just want to turn around and go, he's massively broken into the Manchester United senior team. He was like man of the match until he got injured in the FA Cup final. He looked the best player in the England squad in Euro 2016. You know, anyway, that, that that's kind of nonsense argument. But it was so good. I wrote a thing for Bleach Report in the week about um, the best teenagers to have played for United since the year 2000, and I had Rashford on the list. And when I was writing about it, I was feeling a bit sad that he hasn't played yet this season because it was so exciting last season. But, I mean, he just looked... He looked. So, he didn't look like he was trying too hard or any of the things you might expect, given the kind of pressure on him and the, and the narrative around him. But he was just brilliant when he came on today. Yeah. So when England are playing with uh, Adam Lallana and Daniel Sturridge up front, um, and Marcus Rashford is dancing around six players for the under twenty ones. Yeah. <laughs> great. Great. No, it's it's a total nonsense of a decision. But uh, well, you know, I guess. Uh, uh, Marcus will enjoy uh, playing in front of 2,000 people for the under-21s. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's good from our perspective that he gets a, the time in his legs and stuff, and that's all good. But uh, what did you what did you make of his performance today? Well, I thought it was... I mean, first it was interesting that he wasn't necessarily tied down to any one position. Yeah. He, he sort of played left and through the centre, but not, a, not up front. 
Um, I thought he was very direct when he got the ball. He wanted to run at players more than once. He did that. Very, very cute move, wasn't it? Just before he scored to flick the ball over the defender, find Luke Shaw, um, who squared it for Pogba to shoot just wide. Um, so I thought he was very bright, very direct, uh, looked confident. And didn't look like a man who's been ousted and is, uh, you know, on the fringes of the the squad and been dropped by uh, his manager, did he? You know, so uh, I thought it was all positive. Um, I mean, it, it does leave a question, of course: Is he going to get into the United side, and in what position is, is he essentially sort of a utility forward this season for Mourinho? Um, will he get a lot more games in, say, the Europa League and the FA Cup and the League Cup and, and that kind of thing? Um, and the same question can be asked for McTarian as well. You know, there's mm-hmm. obviously a, a more obvious route into the side for McTarian, um, because uh, um, Jose, we are presuming, hasn't done yet. Will will uh, more readily drop matter than Rooney? Um, but uh, you know, Rashford's got a bit more of a problem. But but the two of them are knocking on the door hard now and saying, "Hey, you know, I, I kind of deserve a game." Yeah, and I think. So the next game is the derby, which slightly changes the thinking. And we'll see what happens in the international break. Um, and we'll, we'll, we're going to do a show and preview the derby. Um, but I think it's Martial that would be dropped for Rashford. I think you could definitely see that happening, um, given given his kind of stuttering start to the season. But of course, as you've said, that's then quite a demanding role for Rashford to be playing if he's expected to do that defensive work and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't think there's any question around his attitude to doing that. He'll certainly do it, not necessarily his natural game, but uh, he played plenty of... Uh, plenty of games at reserve and academy level in wide areas, so uh, I think he'll be fine there. It's, uh, you know, you do want to see him in forward positions, but right now there's... um, you know, a very good striker up there, isn't there? So United have a, an embarrassment of riches in attacking areas for once. Um, Pogba and Ibrahimovic, uh, neither of them were spectacular in that game, except in moments of kind of like breathtakingly spectacular. The uh, <laughs> vertical splits to pull the ball down on a back heel and somehow manage to pass it into a really dangerous area in the first three minutes of the game from Ibrahimovic. I mean, without hyperbole, one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen on a football pitch. And he does that all the time. I mean, and there was the bit where he pulled the ball out of the air and tried to back heel it in. He was yeah. probably, he was, I guess he was offside as well as missing yes. uh, with his back heel from two yards yeah. out. Um, yeah, spectacular. So a couple of great shots from Pogba. Uh, yeah, pretty lame effort from a free kick, but a, a great long range effort that only just went over as well. Yeah. And, and then the curling effort I just mentioned from the, the move with Rashford and Shaw. Yeah. Um, you know, probably quieter than last week, Pogba. Yeah, but still um, really just a much better midfielder than we've had for since Roy Keane left. Yeah, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. And uh, uh, celebrated hard when United scored the, the winner, didn't he? Yes. Uh, by the way, that um, I wanted to just put the... I don't need the messages about Paul Scholes. I, I'm talking about kind of complete all-round midfielder that does everything, which obviously Skulls wasn't. Uh, no, no, Skulls not famed for his defensive work. No, absolutely not. Uh, the other talking of defensive work, we would be remiss were we not to mention another Man of the Match award for Eric Bailly. He didn't get the Man of the Match on the telly. That was Curtis Davis and probably well-deserved. Uh, but Eric Bailly gets the Man of the Match on United's Twitter thing. And from a United perspective... You can't really argue against that. Um, just a, a superb all-round performance. I I was keeping a, a, a log of everything that Blinden Bailly did because I'm going to write some sort of fairly detailed piece about them tomorrow. But I think he made two mistakes all game and they both came within a one-minute period where he there was a, a little rash moment where he stepped out and he got his distribution wrong. And that led to a period of whole pressure. And then there was a corner immediately after that, which he then kind of his distribution went wrong again. Mm-hmm. But his overall performance and his relationship with Blint and what he's bringing out in Blint and how well Blint is playing with the cover he's receiving from Fellaini in the air. they You wouldn't break up that centre-back partnership, would you? Well, I still think the more natural partnership is, is Smalling and uh, and Bailly. Um I mean, yeah, Smalling's just a better defender than, than uh, Blint. Blint is, is, for the moment, he looks superb in games like this where he's not under any pressure at all. Um, and, and 
during periods. The last season when he was under pressure, he, he looked very good as well. Um, his reading of the game was superb. Uh, his distribution is obviously brilliant. He joined the attack late in the game. Um, the partnership seems to work very well. So for the moment, it looks right. Um, we'll see, because there'll be games when United will be under a lot more pressure. Um, where Fellaini will become a liability in possession in a defensive area and it will allow players to run past him and, and Blint will be under pressure. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, Fellaini is not suddenly going to become the most dynamic player on the pitch. Um, the players will run past him and they'll, you know, and then Blint will have to show in one-on-one situations that he's better than he has been. And, you know, I... I haven't got a lot of faith that that'll happen, um, but distribution on the ball, reading the game, brilliant from Blint. It's going to be interesting to see how many good games in a row it would take for the sort of... It, it feels almost like there's um, it would be really hard for him to shift that perspective that you have of him, that that his... Are, are you saying I've got some kind of agenda? No, not an agenda, just a that your mind is fairly firmly made up, that his limitations will always mean there's a limit to how good he can be in, an, in that position. Well... But that's true, you know. They, yeah, but that's yeah. fine. That's, that's just that's a reasonable perspective to hold. To me, that I mean, like you said, he he's he can definitely be excellent in games like today, and he was absolutely excellent today. And he he's extremely good when he's under pressure in one on ones because of how smart he is at managing strikers' positioning. The 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 problems. Blint's worst games last season didn't come from physical limitations. Blint's worst moments last season came from massive lapses in judgment, which, you know, is ironic given that that's his greatest strength. But if you look at all the games where he played really badly, it was when his kind of composure went and his, I don't know, like his confidence or something went and he just stopped doing the thing he does where he reads the game well. Uh, And then everything, kind of all his limitations become really obvious and um, by limitations seem less obvious the one thing that i've definitely noticed though is that uh, neither of the center backs almost ever attempted any uh elaborate passes Mourinho clearly wants as soon as they were getting over the center circle um they're looking around and, and trying to pick a pass and then just knocking it to the nearest midfielder or rooney dropping deep or matter or you know like time and time and time again, when they got the ball over the halfway line, they played the simplest possible pass. And it really does look like they're under instructions to do that. Yeah, Blint will play more balls into the channel. Yeah, uh, And did play a few. Yeah, I mean, you know, and he's got the quality to do that. And not that Bailly's bad on the ball at all. I mean, he's obviously no. very composed and his distribution is pretty good. Um, so, but yeah, I, th- I think that's ab- about right. Defenders are supposed to defend in, in a Mourinho team. Yeah, um, they're, they're less a part of the attacking unit as as Van Hal in his insists. Yeah, um, uh, or in fact, Van Hal insists everyone is part. Uh, attacking unit might not have been the right way of. Um, characterising that because I'm not sure United did a lot of real attacking <laughs> under Van Gaal but of the, the possession unit in fact the goalkeeper is supposed to as well there's an anecdote I, I was reading this was it in Andy Misson's piece I actually can't remember now um, that, uh, that Van Gaal was seriously considering um, uh, selling David De Gea uh, because he didn't think his distribution was good enough It's a beautiful, beautiful world. Louis van Gaal does not manage Manchester United, nor does David Moyes. These are good times. And United are good again. And even when they're not that good, they try really, really, really hard to score goals. And then eventually they do. And it's just delightful. That second, that last half an hour of that game was absolutely delightful. Um... Yeah, so just super. It was great. Should we do some uh, rank cast questions? Let's do it. Did you see the time, says Craig, at Craig English 92 Baye did that very blint thing of making the striker miss time a header. It was great, like blint. There's definitely, there are definitely big blint fans out there. Uh, oh my God, so many Rooney questions. I'm, I'm not going to answer any of the Rooney questions because we've sort of talked about them so much. Uh, but suffice to say, many of the things that we've talked about have been asked about. At Grey Badger twelve six one says, "What's the furthest apart you've ever been while recording a pod?" Well, I think I've never recorded the pod anywhere exotic. So, what's the furthest away from England you've recorded a podcast, Ed? 
It'd be either China or, or about where I am now. Okay. Seattle's a long way away, isn't it? It is about 10 hours in a plane away. Do you have any idea how many miles it is? I do, yeah. It's 4,690 miles, which I knew off the top of my head. All right, Beijing is 5,061 miles. So I guess that would have been the furthest. I, I, we may have recorded while I was in Tokyo. I can't actually remember. Uh, that rings a bell. It definitely rings a bell. And South Africa as well. I think that's yeah. nearer. Tokyo would have been further than Beijing, I think. All right. So it's a long way apart anyway. It's more than 5,000 miles. Too far apart. My favourite was when we were across your kitchen table. That was more like, um, you know, five centimetres. <laughs> yeah. Uh, does Rooney deserve a starting berth? No. Is Rooney being left out for political reasons? Left in. If Rooney is... Yeah, left in. If Rooney is the answer, what on earth is the question? It's not just us. It is not just us. No, it isn't. Uh, we we had a, um, a few comments this week uh, on the blog Um eventually had to be deleted because it got rather abusive, uh, saying that we have a uh, middle-class guardian reading quinoa-eating agenda against a working-class player. Is that true, Paul? Are you, are you against the masses? I definitely like uh, quinoa a lot. And, you know... I hate it. I know I know. I talk in this voice and stuff, but that's, that's not a particularly accurate description of our upbringing, I think it's fair to say, uh, Ed. Not in the slightest accurate, <laughs> No. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, is Mkhitaryan not starting, asks at Econi's, because Ree Farrier finds it difficult to spell his name. Could, could be true. Just call him Mickey. I have to do that because I keep getting it wrong. I think about Ree Farrier quite often. Do you? Yeah, because... At night? No, not at night. Kleenex moment. Oh, that's... Well, yes, because it does bring a tear to the eye. Uh-huh. The... I just think about how much Jose Mourinho must love Rui Faria. And the. Because Mourinho has fallen out with a lot of people in his life. And generally, like, one of the reasons he falls out is kind of issues of trust. This is this has clearly been a factor in his career. But Rui Faria has been absolutely everywhere that Jose Mourinho has been. Like, he clearly. They would definitely take a bullet for each other, those two men. No doubt about it. Clearly trust him. Does what he needs, and uh, you know, I guess that's important. You, you see that a, a lot with management, don't you? People going from job to job, bringing the same people they trust. Although, interesting that David Moyes at Sunderland hasn't done that, hasn't chucked everyone out of Sunderland because <laughs> Sunderland's backroom staff is just too good, yeah, it's too elite, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, also interesting that uh, Mike Phelan is still doing a fine job at um. At Hull City, you know, I actually, I actually thought, you know, we talked all all about United today, um, but given Hull's situation, I thought they were great. Absolutely, they did exactly what they needed to do. They were super, super, super organised. Uh, it took one moment with um, you know Myla being beaten by Rooney, call it Rooney's class, or Myla just you know obviously shattered um, to change the game. And it was one of the very few moments that United ever got around the back of Hull. You know, hardly, hardly. Um, a lot of chances created, 29 chances created by United, but almost all in front of Hull. Um, one of the few occasions got right around the back of them and United scored. Apart from that, just brilliant organisation. Um, it's still going to take something for Hull to stay up and, and it looks like a, a bid has been accepted and, you know, there's Chinese investors coming in. I don't know whether they'll be able to buy any players before the window closes, but uh, Mourinho said it this week, uh, Mike Phelan deserves a job. I think they're right. I think he's right. Yeah, absolutely. And if he doesn't get this job, it's going to be a smart club that gives him a job by the looks of things. At Bama f- underscore fan 13 says, uh, Wesley Jordan says, Rashford and Mkhitaryan showed enough to be given a starting spot. Agree or disagree? I definitely agree. And I think the balance of the team would look great uh, with those two in. But I think you have to leave out at least one very good player if you do or that. Or Rooney. Sorry, sorry. Hashtag <laughs> no, no, agenda. There's two that, no, there's two players there. That's why I said you have to leave out at least one really good player. True, true. Um, at Heinlein, on a more serious note, says, uh, did you hear about the earthquake in Myanmar? We have uh, many United fans here, and there's, of course, nothing we can say uh, about that situation. But, um, yeah, just love to everybody that's, you know, struggling and... and yeah, our thoughts are definitely with you guys for whatever that is worth. Um, at Dunk Palmer, to pivot quickly back to football, um, 
Baye, uh, very solid, but has he got a fair few rash errors in him? I seriously think he only made two mistakes in that whole game, but there will be more. Yeah, and both distribution rather than defensive, really. Uh, There will be more, uh, but actually, there haven't been a lot, have there? Um, When I think of Rio Ferdinand at age 22, he made quite a few errors, you know, and he had that problem where he'd kind of switch off in games. I don't see that from Baye. I think he's got all the tools to be a really, really good Premier League defender. Um, we've kind of answered this one uh, as they're uh, United for life one. So is, is there any way in for Smalling given how brilliant the partnership has been? I say no. Ed says yes. I think that's where we stand on that one. So, so you think there's no way in for Smalling? Uh, it's not that I think there's no way in at all ever. I just think I would I would not break up this partnership if Smalling because Smalling was fit again. No way. Well, he's, he's yeah, he's fit now. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So I, I'm, I would continue to stick with this partnership uh, rather than replacing Blint with Smalling. Yeah, definitely. Um, is Marcus Rashford worth at least eighty nine million pounds? Asks at Cryptic Android. We had a few questions on on similar lines. Um, at the straight ender saying Marcus Rashford is love. Marcus Rashford is life. I agree with all of that. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what you would sell Rashford for in the summer 2016 transfer market, but he's a huge number. Uh, yes, it, it is. Although it might be a lot less if he doesn't play very often this season. Um, either way, he's, he's, he signed a new contract last season, didn't he? So he's uh, he's in it for the long term. At Alex underscore Riesel, friend of the show, says uh, United are back, right? Last minute goal. Get in, you beauty. I think that was written pretty quickly after the goal. But yes, this is absolutely... You can't argue, really, can you, that United are a completely different force in the Premier League this season? Yeah, although I seem to remember United uh, winning a game with a last-minute uh, goal. Winning a game or drawing? I can't... You know what? <laughs> this is how much of the Van Gaal era I've tried to blank out of my mind. Uh, when they scored late at Watford and Schweinsteiger scored. Yeah, that was uh, to win 2-1. And also... Win- Two uh, one, yeah. So were, were we praising United's uh, never uh, say ability, die. never say die attitude? Then you know, it might have been, but uh, clearly wrong, wasn't it? Blint scored a late equaliser at uh, the Hawthorns in Van Gaal's first season, and of course Martial with the uh, winner in the semi final of the FA Cup. So actually, that that was definitely something which cropped up occasionally during the Van Gaal era. Uh, oh, this is a good one. At AP, the middleman. Uh, this is a testing one. I'll go first because you haven't had any time to think. Uh, predict the starting lineup of the first Europa League game. That's a, a great question. I wonder whether he'll go full Sergio Romero. You never go full Sergio Romero. <laughs> um, yeah i know it's like one of those rules you have in the army or something there's things you just don't do De, uh, De, De Gea, damian smalling jones uh rojo or fosu mensa maybe for one of them yeah i mean i think the wider question is like how fringe does he go is it full fringe or is it a mixture of players he feels are fresh enough and a few fringe players uh, in or is it full strength? I mean, I don't think anyone thinks it's going to be that. No. Um. So the draw is has happened, hasn't it? And it has. We haven't talked about that at all. So because it's the Europa League draw, and literally nobody cares. Some people care. I think Sevilla cared. <laughs> Liverpool cared. <laughs> West Ham cared, but they didn't care enough, did they? Oh yeah, I remember what happened in the the draw. It's very cool because uh, we got Robin van Persie in the draw. We do. So United play Feyenoord first. Um, sorry, United do play Feyenoord first. Uh, then they play Fenerbahce. Robin van Persie doesn't play for them as well. He doesn't play for them. Uh, uh, then Fenerbahce and Robin van Persie does play for them. Uh, and then United play uh, some Ukrainian side that literally no one has ever heard of in England. Let's just admit <laughs> so it. That's the second game. So it goes. Uh, Feyenoord away. Zoria... Someone Ukrainian at home. It just says Zoria on this screen. Zoria, I mean, listen, it definitely sounds like some sort of sci-fi warrior. Um, We talked about No Man's Sky on the Patreon stuff last week. It could definitely be a planet in No Man's Sky before you rename it, couldn't it? And then, yeah, and then Fenerbahce uh, at home. That's that's how the the first round of fixtures go. Mm. I think he's going to go full fringe because, I mean... I don't. It just doesn't seem like the. I mean, not full crazy, crazy fringe, but I think he'll. 
I think you could see eight players in that team that aren't getting into the first team. Mm. Yeah, and we'll see as the coming. I think it's one of those. I mean, personal opinion. Uh, I think that would be right. See where it goes. United should be able to walk this group. I know Mourinho talked up the quality, but this is not a great Fenerbahce side, and it's not a great Feyenoord side. Um, and uh, like Mourinho, I don't have much of a vision of the Ukrainian side, quote unquote. <laughs> um, having not watched them, although loads of their game highlights are on YouTube, I did check this out. If you're into the Ukrainian league, uh, go for it. Uh, so, so um, you know, I think they'd be right to play a lot of French players and you just see how far United go and and quarterfinal, semi-final, final. Then you can start playing uh, greater strength, and they're going to need it as well because the schedule is really compressed in some cases. Um, given that they'll come back late. Uh, so it's, um, you know, on the 15th of uh, September, they'll come back late. So they'll get a 16th to kind of warm down. Won't be a proper training session. They'll have a full training session on the 17th and then they play on the 18th, right? At, at midday. At midday. Um, yeah. So there's very, very little time. And, and there are a few fixtures that are compressed um, and some long flights as well, you know. Uh, and then midday kickoff against Stoke after the home game against Zoria. So that's not as serious... Uh, we played Chelsea three days after playing Fenerbahce, but that's Fenerbahce at home. Um, and then, yeah, then it starts to get into TBD. So we'll see what happens. It's weird, the Robin Van Persie factor. The fact that Feyenoord, Man United and Fenerbahce are all in the same. He's like played for four teams ever, I think. And that's three of them. That's uh, that's pretty extraordinary. Did he play for PSV? No, he didn't, did he? So that's that's pretty remarkable that three of his teams are in there it would be great to get him a proper old trafford send-off because he, he never got one i'm sure he'll get a fantastic he i'm will. sure oh robin van persie will be ringing out no doubt united. 58 goals 105 games for united uh you know that one really great season custis this week was saying uh you know robin had six months <laughs> fat man jesus not not robin He's not. He's very slim still. Um, and talking of Robin Van Persie, we've got something really exciting now. I, I um, for a long time, I've uh, followed a chap on Twitter called Danny Carbassion, and uh, Danny played for Arsenal. He was a. Uh, he's an American guy, and he he came across and played for Arsenal's youth team. Broke into the first team briefly and was sent out on loan and then got a really serious injury at the age of 22 um, and then became a scout for Arsenal. And he's got a new book out. Um, now, even though, obviously, this is a Manchester United podcast, first of all, I thought the book might well be of general interest to people who are interested in the kind of mechanics of football work, how football works and what it's like to be a scout. But also, I just think Danny's sound and there's a bunch of United connections to his career uh, as you can hear now because I had a chat with him this morning I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Danny Carbassian Danny thank you very much for coming on the show yeah of course thanks for having me Paul appreciate it so um I'm really excited about the about reading your book um can you give us a bit of a, a background on it and and what what led to it happening now yeah of course I um I moved to England when I was 18 years old and signed for Arsenal, uh, I guess during a pretty special time during the Invincibles. So, uh, it's a bit of a, well, know, a bit of a, <laughs> did, did lose a few times that season. That's <laughs> yeah, a bit of a, a double-edged sword, I suppose, just because of how amazing the team was. But in terms of, you know, personal growth and everything, it was, it was tough to break into that team. But, uh, yeah, I grew up in the States and, uh, moved over, played at Arsenal for two years, went on loan to Ipswich, went to Burnley, uh, for another year and a half, ended up hurting my knee, um, and getting told by Dr. Bolton that I basically need to retire at 22. Um, so I, yeah, I moved back home and became, um, Arsenal ended up hiring me as a scout and I, I did that full time for about, uh, eight years from, from 22 on. But, uh, the reason I started writing the book was because when I, when I did move to the UK, I realized I knew very little about, um, kind of the, not, not only the, the culture in England, but the, the football culture, what it meant to be a professional footballer, um, kind of what the demands were, what the, what the stresses were. And I know a lot of people laugh at this, but just the, you know, the mental stress every week of knowing that it's essentially a tryout, you know, even in the reserves at Arsenal, there was about a pool of 30 guys, um, you know, fighting for 16 to 18 spots every, you know, every week, uh, and just making the team, you know, making the, 
the bench at that point was a was a, a big success in, in my eyes, and finally make it onto the pitch in my you know at the end of my first year and, and getting to train with the first team. All this stuff, um, I, I wanted essentially to not only educate Americans, and and since the book's been out, actually I've gotten a lot of uh, great feedback, even from. Uh, you know, diehard English football fans who have, you know, grew up a stone's throw from Highbury or, or grew up with kids actually in academies around England as well. And, uh, but I wanted to kind of explain a bit more as to what the process was to, to actually getting to be on the pitch, uh, you know, on a Saturday in front of millions of people, uh, you know, the end game essentially, just the highs and lows and, and everything that went into it essentially. It's a, it's an amazing story. At United, there's a kind of combination of myth and, and truth around how important and it is for the club to bring through players from its academy into the first team. Uh, how much of a priority was that for Arsene Wenger in your day there? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it was very important. I think you can you could see it, especially with um, with Sesk. Uh, he signed the same year I did as well. And uh, you know, when Vieira, I believe, got injured, um, I, I think into his into our our second year uh, at the club, and Sesk had already, I think, at sixteen, had already made his debut in the Carling Cup. Uh, the year prior, he was training with the first team every so often as well. And then, um, when he got injured, I think at the end of his first, uh, at the end of our first season, when Vieira got injured, um, Sess got to play in the Community Shield actually against United that year. Uh, he had the the infamous dreadlock mullet thing going on <laughs> in that game. Uh, but uh, yeah, and you could see like straight away that um, the boss had a lot of uh, a lot of faith in him. Uh, similar with Clichy, you know, Clichy was was very young. He signed the same year I came as well. He was, I came as a striker and ended up playing as a left back, and uh, I was laughed because I was uh, essentially third in the pecking order behind Ashley Cole and Clichy, and Clichy was a year younger than me and miles better than me. So, uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, you could see straight away that um, you know his philosophy was essentially if you're if you're good enough, you're old enough, and when he'd throw players in. Um, you know, getting getting the trust of the boss to to not only just you know make make the squad on a match day, but then throwing you in to represent you know Arsenal Football Club on a match day was um, you know he doesn't just do it for everybody and and those kids you know went on to uh, impress enough to retain their spots in the team over an extended period of time, uh, playing some big games and whatnot. So uh, yeah, it was it was good. Like you ha- you felt like you know you felt that if you did well enough, you certainly would have a chance. It didn't help that. Um, you know, in the league, my first season, I didn't, I didn't see Arsenal lose well, well into my second season as well. Once again, United ending that streak. <laughs> so um, I, think I have vague memories of that game. <laughs> and this, this podcast is actually very relevant now. <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder why you brought me on. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was. You know, you, you definitely, you definitely got your chances. I mean, I got my. I got my chances actually in the, you know, in the Carling Cup, but even if it was a very small taste, um, it was still, it was still a wonderful, you know, experience to represent Arsenal at, at that level. Um, actually, you know, Robin Van Persie and I actually made our, our debuts, our, our, our official debuts for Arsenal, uh, in the same game against Manchester City, uh, away. He, <laughs> another thing I laugh at is that we both, we both actually ended up scoring that night, our, our first goals for Arsenal, and then he went on to score, uh, several, several more goals than I did. So, <laughs> so what was, um, what was Van Persie like as a kid? Yeah, it was good. It was interesting. I mean, it, you know, this is one of the, I think I was going back to the, the book as well. Like I was very aware and cognizant of everything that was going around me, I think as a kid, um, when I was there and seeing like Robin's a year older than me, but he, um, you know, he was bought, you know, he was a player that had, remarkable expectations that I think he, you know, he lived up to, um, during his career. And he, uh, seeing a kid like that coming in and getting involved with the first team straight away and, uh, you know, bringing kind of this bad boy attitude that he had in Holland and, uh, seeing what it was like culturally for him to get integrated into a team where, you know, he's coming in as a striker. I was a striker as well, but he's, you know, really in the mix to be competing with guys like Henri Burkamp. I mean, he was touted as the next Burkamp. Um, and just seeing how he carried himself, it was interesting. I think he had he had a couple of um, I would say I don't want to say disciplinary problems before, but I think he had to get knocked down a couple you know pegs uh, out of the gate and 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 let everybody know basically that um, you know he'd have to work very very hard to to earn his spot. And you know I'd, I'd like to think that he did. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, he wowed. I remember the first the first 
day in training where I was in, when I was training with the first team and he was there as well. Um, after training, it was generally, um, commonplace for everybody kind of sit around and just take shots on the keepers and, um, and Robin kind of just set up some balls and was whipping free kicks in the top corner. And Henri, Henri and Will Tord were kind of sat back a bit and Will Tord was grabbing Terry basically saying like, Oh, it looks like you got some competition. And Henri didn't look very pleased about it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was good. I mean, you know, as I said, he went on to have a, and continues to have a great career. So, um, certainly a, a very good player. Yeah. I mean, obviously he was absolutely beloved when he, came to United and um, uh, did what he did. Was that a move that you could understand at the time? I mean, because obviously you're, you're an Arsenal fan and, uh, you know, United were massive rivals during your time at Arsenal and that's something I'll come on to. But could you, could you understand mm. why he made that move? Uh, I mean, it's hard. Like, I, I, I never... Yeah, I mean, I'm, as I said, I'm, as you said, rather, uh, I am an Arsenal fan, so it's a, it's definitely a, a hard pill to swallow. Um, yeah, things clearly worked out for him uh, in the end. There, <laughs> he went and got got the uh, got the title that he wanted. So, um, to, I mean, do I do I understand? It's 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 hard. I guess he spent a lot of time at Arsenal. You know, I mean, he was there. You know, well after. Well, after I left, he came just about around the time that I was there, and I saw him as you know as an Arsenal guy. So, um, I think it was definitely a strange one for me to see him go. But you know, careers careers take different paths, and you know, there's always there's always different decisions uh, the players have to make uh, when keeping their careers in mind. So, uh, I can't I can't hate him for it. I suppose <laughs> that's very that is very magnanimous, Danny. Yeah, as you we were asking the question, I was like, oh boy. Here we go. <laughs> I could feel it. I could feel it. Um, so, uh, what was your perception of the United Arsenal rivalry? Yeah, I mean, it was man. That was it was an incredible time, especially when I was there. I think the, the Kane Vieira rivalry. I don't, I don't think anybody even needs to talk about how amazing it was. Um, and and both teams at the time were just you know they were both just flying and every every single time they played it just seemed like you know everything would kick off there was always there was always stuff going on off the ball there was always incidents that would happen it was just never a game of football um, you know and it 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 brought a lot of uh, you know brought a lot of spice to to every single fixture I think you know having. You know, Jose Antonio Reyes comes and, and Gary Neville just kicks the crap out of him basically every time they play. <laughs> like, <laughs> like things like that. The the rude bit, Nisselroy, you know, subplot, Martin Keogh and all these things. Uh, I think they all made, um, I mean, it made for remarkably entertaining football because at the end of the day, it was just generally 22 very, very high level footballers, you know, applying their trade uh, on any given day. Plus this added intensity and pressure of of uh, a bunch of competitors and winners, uh, you know, trying to top one another. So uh, it was just it was an amazing uh, it was an amazing rivalry. Then it continues to be an amazing rivalry. But I think at the at the time it was at its peak. And I was uh, the the third and final game that I got to play in the first team actually was at um, was at Old Trafford, uh, and I, I came on last. Um, I think 10 minutes of the game or 10 or 20 minutes of the game. Uh, and I, I still, despite us losing, um, I still count that as one of the most kind of my most memorable, you know, experiences in football, just because, uh, you know, getting the chance to play at Old Trafford, especially, you know, for Arsenal at the time, uh, but in such a, such an amazing atmosphere and such a, you know, such a big game. I think it was, uh, it was a very unique time, I think. So what were your impressions of the place? What was it like standing on the touchline, getting ready to come on for Arsenal against Man United at Old Trafford? Uh, yeah, well, there was like, I think like 70,000 of you lot screaming, who the F are you? So that was, uh, <laughs> that was nice. Uh, I thought having, I thought having scored at City, I would have won you guys over a little bit, not that bad, but that was clearly not the, uh, not the case. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I, I grew up in the States, basically. I mean, I, I played football my whole life, obviously, but, um, I was just, uh, obsessed with, you know, stadiums around the world, obsessed with every school project evolved around football. You know, I'd make collages and those were always my, my projects for school, whatever, whatever, uh, in school, whatever project I was assigned, it essentially always had a theme around football, whatever I turned in. And, um, I'd done like an incredible amount of research on Old Trafford, you know, growing up. And when we, when we drew you guys, um, 
and each like in in the week building up or the the week and a half building up to the game they kept announcing you know like 20,000 tickets have been sold 30,000 tickets 50,000 60,000 and then they announced that it was a sellout uh i think it was just it was it's just an amazing kind of setup for the whole day and everything and um yeah getting getting there getting to the dressing room i was actually stunned i mean i should have known better but i was stunned at how kind of small and cramped the uh the dressing room was the visitors dressing room and uh it was you know obviously it was just red which was just very i i mean is our color as well but it's just very uncomfortable in there kind of you know and i was like well this is, they've done well here uh, but um yeah and i remember just walking out and thinking wow this place is is pretty massive uh and then and then when the when the game started obviously because the tunnel was in the corner um you know walking walking out walking along the touchline and then sitting down and hearing um hearing your crowd sing was uh yeah it was very loud it was you know i was i was happy kind of just looking around soaking it all in basically not only just actually being involved as a footballer you know in the fixture but um seeing how everything kind of kind of unfolded and, and David Bellion scored after about 30 seconds I think actually so it didn't really take long for me to hear you guys go into full voice uh, so that was uh, that was great too I suppose for you guys uh, also definitely really sets it in a time and place if David Bellion scored yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, um, so what was your perception of uh ferguson did you hear wenger talk about him was it was it something that the players talked about that rivalry uh i mean not really everything that i everything that i'd heard and learned and um i guess formed an opinion on regarding ferguson was all out of the um was all out of the press basically um right. none of the i mean obviously these guys are very uh very professional the managers are very professional i mean Arsene Wenger would never, never be walking around the training ground spouting off about it. Sir Alex Ferguson. <laughs> we all like to picture that. That's why. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everybody's uh, just screaming about the other managers. Uh, no, he's. Um, I, you know, as I said, everything everything that I got from Sir Alex was basically from the uh, kind of from the press. And uh, yeah, you know, when you're when you're playing for a club and you're a fan of that club, you you clearly take sides. So uh, I think you know I I, under, I understand how. Yeah, I'm on Twitter and I see the reactions of people when different managers say different things and how how much people defend their own managers and everything. So I understand it all, but uh, yeah, I, you know everything. My perception of Sir Alex is basically what I think a lot of people is. It's just based off of what you see in the press. Well, thank you very much for talking to us. It is much appreciated. And where where can people get your book? What's what we should give it the the proper plug? What's the full title? Yeah, so it's called the the Arsenal Yankee. Um, there's a forward by Arsene Wenger, which I'm sure all United fans would love to read. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there there are some there are some uh, people listening to this that are just interested in football stuff generally. <laughs> Fair enough. This is directed to you guys. Um, yeah, and it's uh, if you go to the ArsenalYankee.com, um, there's you can it's you can you can get it in the states or, or across the world as well. It's on Amazon uh, and and on Kindle as well. So yeah, go to the ArsenalYankee.com. I really appreciate it, man. Fantastic. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really liked all the stuff on Van Persie in particular. He's kind of swaggering attitude and having to be taken down a peg or two early. And you can certainly recognise that from early Robin Van Persie, can't you? Yeah, it's good. Um, uh, football anecdotes from players who've actually played the game are, are always the most fascinating thing to uh, fans, aren't they? Because we just don't often get that inside look. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, massive thanks to uh, Danny. And as he said, uh, I think it's the Arsenal Yankee. Uh, that's the, the website and the name of the book. And um, if Danny's kind of the way he talks about the game and like his general presence on Twitter and stuff is anything to go by, I think that book's going to be a, a terrific read. And I'm definitely going to pick up a copy. So anyway, um, I, I guess we should we take a few more Twitter questions, given that we haven't got a game to preview. Let's do that and then a little chat about the international break. Okay, good. Um, At Beware of the Pog says, back to the Hull game, at any point in that game did you think it was going to end nil-nil? Honestly, it was not until the 85th minute that I started to think it. Um, No, I thought United would, they just kept knocking on the door. Just kept going. Uh, It just felt like it was coming. At Gary underscore 1105 says, when will Ed finally admit that Blint is good at centre-back? We got kind of half of that today. 
Look, it's not, um, you know, I, the, one of the more irritating things about having an opinion in the, in the Twitter sphere or, you know, internet sphere is that people think it's always binary. It's not binary. I, you know, my, my observation about Blint is, you know, about his weaknesses. And that, for me, means he won't be the perfect centre-back. It doesn't mean I don't recognise when he plays well. It's the same with Rooney, you know, and people who say there's an agenda, whether it's social or, or otherwise, are talking bollocks. It's not, an, it's not an agenda, it's an observation about the guy's quality. And it's the same with Blint, you know. So um, if Blint suddenly gets uh, about five yards quicker and grows a couple of inches and stops making those positional mistakes, then I, clearly I make a different opinion. That's, I mean, you just said he has to miraculously get taller, Ed, for you to have a different opinion about him. Well, maybe he could, you know, stretch his hamstrings a little bit or something. Um, I mean, it's not it, like his height is not the biggest problem. Uh, he doesn't often he nearly. doesn't often face players who, who will physically dominate him in the air. And re- very rarely has that happened. Um, his positional sense, uh, especially at set pieces, is a problem, definitely. Um, and uh, when he's under pressure from multiple players coming at multiple angles, then he's... He has a problem as well because of his lack of recovery speed. Partnering him with Bay really helps with that. Yeah, it does. Particular thing. It, do, it does. Um, it's you know I I I'd love to be proved wrong, but I do not think that we will be uh, lauding in years to come Blint Bay as the best centre back partnership ever. Too many weaknesses. Seems fair enough. Um, at Little Chimpy says, is it cool that I'm starting to love Fellaini? Yes, yes. It, loving people is always cool. What's interesting about this is this is exactly what Mourinho wants. Mourinho definitely wants you, at Little Chimpy, to start loving Maro and Fellaini because he's been extremely clear that one of the things he wants is for the fans to change their feelings about Fellaini. And, yeah, I've always sort of loved him, apart from the elbows. Have you? Yeah, as a sort of... I don't know, like the elbows thing really annoys me and the sort of snidey cowardy bit really annoys me. But I think he's like a nice chap generally in his real life, apparently. So it seems. And he's he's got a kind of endearing quality and I very much like his hair. Um, at Yougal Subedi says, would Rashford be a good intern at Cramerica Industries? I think that Rashford is just good at everything he does. So I'm going to say yes, although I think he'd be a bit wasted because you wonder whether Kramer would keep him on the bench a little bit too long or would he have the the sense to put him straight in the first team? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Who would win a battle to to the death for the captaincy, asks Alec Hudson. Of the United players fighting. Who's the hardest in the United squad right now? Well, I'm not actually sure. Zlatan. I guess it's Zlatan, isn't it? I mean, Fellaini... It's it's Zlatan. Fellaini would not do too badly there. He's a big unit. He's not very mobile. I think if Zlatan and Fellaini had a serious fight, I think there'd only be one winner. And I think it'd be Zlatan. There was a moment where one of the whole players ran into... (laughs) Literally injured. It's not funny. He... He looked like he'd actually injured himself and might have to go off because he ran into Zlatan. <laughs> it's like a living Chuck Norris meme. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is. And at Dunk at Ducknans says, "Have you calmed down yet?" Uh, yes, yes. From the goal, I've just about calmed down. Although now that I think about it again, I'm kind of happy or all happy again. At Hez one through three says, "How the heck does he keep doing it? Every game he has one key contribution. Is ruining the new nanny?" Oh man, Ouch. A, a question literally no one ever thought would ever be asked. All right, I think that'll do. Won't it for Twitter questions? That's plenty and all the rest are about really <laughs> yeah you see that that's the thing we'd love to start talking about it but you guys listening actually want us to talk about it <laughs> oh no i don't ever want to talk about him again <laughs> so it's the international break and um a bunch of united players are going to go off and play pointless international football because it is pointless. England plays Slovakia away from home in a group that they absolutely must walk i mean you know there's not a lot of quality there um, uh, even Sam Allardyce with his long ball tactics could get England to, to Russia in 2018. Uh, sure, yeah. I, I should call him Paul Sam Allardyce from now on, since you were his biggest <laughs> cheerleader. I was. It just It's just right. He's just, he is the manager England deserve. Um, yeah, I, I like international tournaments so much 
and it almost feels like it's it feels like cheating because I really love them like they are among my favorite football experiences as we say on this show every two years when we do summer pods um but the problem is I am not willing to put in the hard yards. I'm absolutely not prepared to do the graft. International football happens for one summer every two years and everything in between is just hoping people don't get injured. Yeah, very true. Like, I think it's fair to say, Ed, that you're probably a bigger football fan than I am. Uh, will you be watching any of these matches? Will you go out of your way to watch some of the international break? I probably won't go out of my way, but I will. I may scan some games online, you know, stream them and stuff like that. There's a few interesting games coming up. Italy play France this week. I think that's a friendly, not a not a. It is a friendly. Uh, Belgium play Spain. I'm kind of looking forward to that one. Belgium, who have swung between two absolutely massively polar extremes uh, in Mark Wilmot's to uh, Roberto Martinez as managers. Uh, A manager who only thought about defence to a manager who only thinks about attack, who has, quite bizarrely, appointed Thierry Henry as his assistant. (laughs) I did not know that that happened. (laughs) You didn't know this. (laughs) Ah! Oh, the world is so strange. It is. Football is beautiful again. Um, I wonder what the Belgian squad think of this. I mean, you know, in one sense they'll be liberated, but, 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 and it's a big but, it's Roberto Martinez. And Thierry Henry, the Martinez-Henri dream team. I can imagine Roberto Martinez is sitting there going, right, what are the things that I need help with as a manager? Ah, forget about them. I'm just going to bring Thierry in. Look at him with his lovely cool face. (laughs) I want more Vavavum. I don't care about defending. He could really do with, like, bringing in Yapstam, rescuing Yapstam from Reading and having a bit more of a defensive structural assistant. Uh, he certainly could. Uh, any games you're looking forward to? I, apart from watching Cote d'Ivoire against Sierra Leone to hope that Eric Bailly doesn't get injured, because I've started to believe that our entire fate rests on him. No, I'll probably have a weekend off football, I reckon. Argentina play uh, Uruguay. That could be interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brazil go to Ecuador. Ah. So Tony V versus the new uh, the Olympic champions. Yeah. That was good. All right. Uh, Uz- like- Uzbekistan play Syria. Hmm? Th- that uh, has some, you know, interest for both political and, and Talking football. of that, like United's Europa League group features Turkey and Ukraine, thus making it reasonably geopolitically complicated. At the moment. Yeah, I actually, I, I mean, so Zoria were not playing at home for a long time right. because they're in the Donbass area of, of Ukraine. So um, I think they may have returned home, though. So I'm not, I don't think United will end up in Kiev. Right. Um, I think that's been played. I haven't checked this one out. So, but I think they're back playing home now. So United have the sort of, you know, four hours out to, uh, out to, um, uh, out to Ukraine there. Um but yeah, you, you're right. There's some some uh, geopolitical interest in that one. Who, who else? We've got Kazakhstan playing Poland. Shout out to massive friend of the rank cast, Anton Alfie. Yep. In the Battle of the Minnows, we've got Malta v Scotland. <laughs> Sorry, Malta. <laughs> kind of interesting, actually, the, with the sale of um, McNair and some of the other changes that have happened. This is the first time for a very, very long time, 80 years, I think, that United don't have um, an Irish player or an Irish or Scottish person in the academy teams, the first-team playing squad, or the first-team staff. Um, That's a a very old lineage that's kind of been broken, which is a sort of interesting cultural thing. Lots of Miguel Delaney wrote a really interesting piece about uh, the Irish side of that. Uh, which is worth a read, that kind of talks about the problems with Irish football structure and structural development rather than saying, oh, yeah, Man United are just bad and evil now, which tends to be the take on some of these things. Uh, yeah, well, you know, we are an evil megacorp, but we're now an evil megacorp that are quite good again. <laughs> yes. uh, it's, it's amazing how quickly the kind of arrogance comes back, isn't it? <laughs> It's brilliant. It's like it's never been away. <laughs> just natural. <laughs> yeah. Just not just a- better. Not arrogant, just Pogba. Very good. Um yeah, I, I mean I mean I will watch some of the uh 
the international football just because there's, it's different and there's some football on. But I, I suspect, given the time zones and all that, I won't be watching an awful lot of it. Um, mainly, I'll just be waiting for United to come back for the derby. Um, I guess we'll preview that game next week. It is, it is kind of a shame, isn't it? You always have this international break early in the season just when we feel like there's some momentum. Yeah, and every year, without fail, somebody could definitely cut together a supercut of us saying that every year at this time of year because it is the worst international break because because now really the Premier League season is three games old and it really does feel like it's starting to get up and running and it's exciting the fact that there's not a United game now till the derby and the derby's kind of a scary fixture at this point because it could basically decide the title <laughs> bit, bit early for that but yes absolutely it could you know if City win by a point and we've lost then yeah clearly um, yeah. yeah, I was just looking at the uh, Oceanic uh, fixtures. No, no rounds uh, in this international break. Disappointing because I'm always looking forward to American Samoa or the Cook Islands or uh, perhaps a bit of New Caledonian football. Have you watched that documentary about American Samoa and football team yet? <laughs> yeah, so um, good. Uh, fascinating, uh, absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's um, it's kind of fascinating region for football now that Australia uh, in Asia because it actually opens it opens it out for for other teams you know Australian so dominant and then ended up playing the 18th best side in South America and losing for so many years um, but now there's some uh, there's some competition in the region not not high quality but yeah there you go yeah absolutely all right, well, I think we can safely call that a rant cast, can't we? I hope you enjoyed the interview with Danny um, and I hope you just enjoyed the show generally. Uh, we're going to do about, uh, well, we've been doing like 15 minutes. We keep saying it's 10 minutes, but it's not been 10 minutes once. Do a bit of bonus content uh, for Patreon backers. If you're interested in getting a bit more of the show, it won't be United-related stuff. Um uh, you can check out patreon.com slash rantcast uh, to look at our crowdfunding stuff and as always, a huge thanks to everyone that's backed the show. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you for a, probably a slightly shorter next week uh, show next week when we'll be talking about the Derby and the Europa League. Good stuff.